Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. You know, Vinny, I'm starting to get in a bad mood, you know? Maybe it's like a mood swing, my hormones, I don't know. You know, maybe it's my need oh, to... Oh, I don't know. Stugatz, what's tell happening here? here to get up on the fucking table. Hey, you know, the Fnooks, get it! Vinny, tell them to get up on the fucking table. Oh, hey, you're oh. totally fucking nuts, so what? You could have killed somebody upstairs. But there ain't nobody upstairs. The only balls he has is that badge and gun. I'm is that right? <laughs> Here's my gun. Fair game now, okay? And here's my badge. This is a great fight scene, by the way. There's only two things stopping you. Fear and common sense. And I'm gonna cut your fucking head off. I do have, like, the, in this hardcore Italian bar, there's a random Asian martial artist sitting in the corner. Like the Muay Thai <laughs> boxing champion of the world just happened to be playing nine ball there that day. Because if you know anything about uh, the Italian mafia, it's how much they allow people from other ethnicities to just hang out with them. <laughs> Welcome back to Fraudsters, everyone. I'm Cena Gazzetti, at Cena Now on social media. Justin Williams is here at Justin underscore Williams underscore comedy. Send him an email. He'll come to your house. And yes, if you can hear a slight difference in my voice, if you can hear a slight exhaustion in my spirit, if you could hear a slight insanity in me right now, it's because I have COVID. I have contracted the COVID after three years of this pandemic, and it finally caught up to me. I feel terrible, but I don't feel as physically bad as I do emotionally bad, Justin. I know that you have COVID because in Japan, I studied... The arts of virology so well that Japanese people assumed that I was born a virologist in Japan. And then throughout my travels in Africa, Asia, and sometimes Jamaica, I synthesized a cure for COVID during my time at the CIA. Yeah. Look at his hands. He's definitely a doctor. <laughs> yeah, so that was out for justice. We're going to keep this pump. That's how hardcore I am, guys. I just want you to know... You know, the shows, the episodes are going to keep flowing despite me having this virus coursing through my body right now. Anyways, that was Out for Justice, where he plays an Italian man. I think, suffice to say, we've done Italian jokes on this show plenty of times here. That was very offensive to the Italian people. Frankly, I wish we had Pat O'Boyle around for him to go on a 40-minute monologue about how offensive uh, Steven Seagal was <laughs> in his rendition 
of the Italian people in that. Justin, what'd you like about Out for Justice? Uh, Out for Justice isn't like my like I like I like Mark for Death better. And like under siege and those, but what I like about Alfred Justice, it was cool that it was a kind of more of an urban based uh, action film in the way that like Rambo and stuff like that usually was, you know, it was like exotic, like war kind of locations. The fact that he was just like in New York City was kind of cool. It's like the same twist that the early 90s does where they start putting things in urban areas, like when they bring Predator out of the jungle and they put it in Los Angeles. Like, I thought that was kind of cool, you know. Danny Glover, Predator 2. That was great. Was that Predator 2? That was Predator 2, yeah. Yeah, Massively underrated, by the way. That movie very much holds up. Incredible. The fact that Danny Glover could defeat a Predator is one of the the best underdog stories (laughs) of of cinema. (laughs) Frankly, he's too old for that shit. Anyways, uh, <laughs> so let's get back into Seagal. This is going to be our last installment from him here. Uh, we got part three. I'm so excited to finally be done with it. I never want to listen to another Seagal album, song. I don't even want to watch his movies anymore. I don't want to hear from this man anymore. We're going to be done. Toast. Never again. Forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> so out for justice, 90s, right? He was huge in the 90s. But we're going to move into the 2000s now. And Steven Seagal is having a bit of a midlife crisis. His movies weren't grossing what they used to. His first album wasn't charting. I can't imagine why. His costumes had become more and more outrageous. In the 90s, he was all about beads and suede fringe jackets. But now he's really committing to kimonos so forget that the native american garb was not enough to get him some traction he had to go back to his roots his real roots the japanese culture justin can you describe these uh, we have some great photos here up of uh of seagal in <laughs> it's, it looks by the way one of them he's in a, he's in front of a step and repeat so he's on like a red carpet or like some sort of panel discussion in like the yoga uh, kind of cross-legged seated position with a kimono on, this is so unreal to even see that right now. It's it's just <laughs> you know what the kimono though is a good move if you're going to be like if you're at a point in your life where you can't you're just going to be gaining weight, you should be draped in a lot of uh, fabric. So I will say that he he's done a good job with that, right? Because you can hide a lot of things. It looks like he's about to launch like his own dumpling line of like frozen dumplings. He's had like a corporate event to like get sponsors. It's very sad. Anyways, by this point in his career, his movie's financial success had been steadily declining for about a decade now. The content hadn't changed much. And there are still mostly action sequences framed by racist tropes, but the lighting and the cinematography we're worse. I mean, you're not going to really draw the big guys anymore when you're still doing the same thing over and over again. Justin, why do you think Seagal's movies declined so much in popularity after the 90s? I mean, I think there's a few reasons. Uh, for one, uh, you know, Stephen Seagal is getting up there in years, right? So once you get past 40 in Hollywood, no, you know, you know, as it is, then it gets tough, right? Uh, but then it's also, you know, I don't think society thinks that police brutality is a good linchpin for like a large part of like popular culture anymore. Like the whole thing of cops just like killing people. <laughs> it's like for like entire films as like genre, I think kind of, it had a great run from the seventies through the nineties, right? The two thousands much more sort of complicated. Right. 
Um, yeah. And so, you know, there's a lot of things there. There's also the changing nature of Hollywood, you know, a lot of, uh, also Steven Seagal, uh, you know, he did not behave well in a lot of places. So I imagine there's a lot of people that don't want to work with him as well. Yeah. It's not publicly known, but I'm sure he's, you know, just inside the industry. People are just saying like no to his projects and stuff. Who wants to be with this guy? I mean, he's kind of, kind of caricature of himself. Well, that's even the kind of the word that he's like, so like, you know, that, well, for instance, uh, how does he not get to be in the expendable sequels? Right. It's like precisely because like people don't like him. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to be an awful person to, I mean, Jesus, Wesley Snipes was in prison (laughs) and they got him out. They like broke Wesley Snipes out of prison to be in one. Well, Steven Seagal keeps, he's like still threatening Jean-Claude Van Damme. Like he's like still like he's to this day always talking about how he's going to like do all this stuff to him when he sees him. And it's just like, okay, no one wants to work with you. Jean-Claude Van Damme has a sense of humor about himself, you know? That's true. I think that's what it really comes down to. Like Jean-Claude Van Damme, sense of humor, you know, you could see that, right? Uh, He did a movie with Dennis Rodman. You got to have a good sense of humor if you're going to do a movie with Dennis Rodman, you know? Let's take a look at one of these straight to DVD releases from 2007. One of the other Justice-esque movies that he did called Urban Justice. Let's play a clip. I don't think I've seen this. But we still got this little dilemma now, do we <gasps> now, I know you ain't dumb enough to bring a fist to a gunfight. I am. That's Eddie Griffin. You probably think I'm going to kill you. But you know what? I came here for one thing, and I did what I came here to do. I got nothing to do. What the? F- <laughs> it's a cool motherfucker, Eddie Griffin. <laughs> Is this how Eddie Griffith auditioned for Undercover Brother? Is that what this is? This is post Undercover Brother. That's post Undercover Brother, two thousand seven, probably right. Yeah. Oh my god, I hope. I feel like Undercover Brother was like two thousand three, maybe. Right. Wow, Justin, Undercover Brother one, two thousand two, Undercover Brother two, twenty nineteen. The Undercover Brother two is not. Somebody bought the rights to the name and made something. Michael Jai White. Yeah, that's who did. And Michael Jai White playing Undercover Brother is just Black Dynamite. It's very confusing. That is, yeah. Wow, that's so wild. That was an awful clip. Uh, I hate uh, uh, that movie already. But, you know, it's like you see these bigger actors, like Eddie Griffith, like legitimately a huge comedian, yeah. a huge draw in a, in a straight-to-DVD movie. I mean, you got to get a payday somehow. You yeah, know? the money was good for you know that scene. So, yeah, Eddie Griffin's from my hometown of Kansas City. I love him. Okay, shout out. Yeah, yeah. Shout out, Kansas City. Okay. But Steve, I wonder if he has any funny Steven Seagal stories. Yeah, could you call him? I will call him. Is there like a local yellow book? We do. Yellow, yellow, yellow pages? All Kansas City entertainers. We all have each other's numbers. I have uh, Jason Sudeikis. Uh, I call... I oftentimes call it Paul Rudd. Let's do that game where you call him on FaceTime. It will know if you're really friends with him if they pick up the FaceTime. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> Eric Stone Street. <laughs> so if you thought that title was bad, though, according to IMDb, it was supposed to be called, ready for this? Not Urban Justice, but Once Upon a Time in the Hood. <laughs> it's, a, hmm. it's a great, great Great title. Mm. You know what was funny? It was he was mm. still doing the Robert Downey Jr. Tropic Thunder voice in that. 
is like, why is he talking like that? He did really get in. He got into like the black speak there. It was very weird. Yeah. I ain't got a problem with you. Oh, so strange. So around the time he would have been filming Urban Justice, Seagal also released a line of energy drinks called Lightning Bolt. Now, just because he was doing black speak in that movie, that didn't keep him from appropriating the Asian culture yet again. He marketed it as the, quote, Asian experience energy drink and claimed that he backpacked across Asia in search of the drink's ingredients. (laughs) People don't backpack across Asia. That's not a thing, okay? <laughs> Backpack across Asia, it's just like, it's just fundamentally unbelievable. Like, he's just, he doesn't even run in movies anymore, and you backpacked across a continent in search of ingredients? Like, it just doesn't make sense. And I think we have the ad here, and it's laced with all kinds of stereotypes and misogyny, and worst of all, his own music is playing underneath it for the commercial. Ugh, awful. Let's play the ad. I can't believe we have this ad. This is incredible. This is incredible. It's a unique energy drink. It's the first of its kind. This is amazing. There's lightning bolts everywhere. I love that font. And it's the only energy drink to contain Tibetan goji berries and Asian cordyceps. And it hits the oh spot Oh my God, put that time. font on my tombstone. Now we can both swim in Steven Seagal's lightning bolt pool. Cool, baby. Thank you, man. You do the right Thank thing. Thank you, darling. You are so Everybody just see that? <laughs> What is happening? Did he? Steven! It's forgot one! I found it in the bottom of the pool! Lightning bolt comes in two delicious flavors. How? Why Asian did you? experience and cherry charge. So why the can should not sink to the thrill? bottom of the pool. I, I like it. I like it that it comes in two flavors. Cherry or Asian. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, that was awful. An Asian woman wearing the traditional bikini in the in the commercial. Neon green, Japanese colors as well, neon green. So after that energy drink failed, Seagal released his second album, Mojo Priest, which featured tracks like, quote, She That Pretty. Get to flows, make a preacher drop his collar, ain't Talk to my ass. <laughs> and alligator ass. <laughs> Someone took me to a restaurant and I had to eat something fast. I ordered me some chicken nigga and alligator ass. I think you haven't had this many ass in the title since juvenile what the <laughs> f- well my boss man gave me wages so i went oh. down to the market before i bought some bread somebody took it out of <laughs> my pocket uh-huh. i thought the preacher stole my cadillac so I- oh the preacher stole my wow. cadillac <laughs> preacher stole my cadillac like, what is happening? How did we get here? Uh, <laughs> the preacher stole my Cadillac. I've, you know, the most unbelievable part of that song was the idea that someone would be able to get a piece of bread away from Stephen Seagal. <laughs> <laughs> his big Aikido hands would crush you if you went for his breadsticks. So, Justin, believe it or not, 
this guy actually toured on this album. We need to tour. If this man toured, we need to tour. Jesus Christ. Well, we're going to break for ads real quicker. But when we come back, we'll be in 2009 when things start to look up for Seagal. And when Michael Bolton released his first mainstream pop (sighs) album since 2002, One World, One Love. Hazel, what? How did this happen now? I thought we were done talking about Michael Bolton. Just one more song. This is the last one. I promise. (laughs) An album that all music called, quote, not as memorable as his earliest hits, but the, quote, sound of an old pro doing what he does best. I don't know how you're slipping Michael Bolton constantly into this show. Uh Uh-oh. He did reggae? That's actually much more respectable than what Steven Seagal did. I don't know about that. I think that's, uh, it's almost permissible. Justin? The only uh, white guys that I give clearance to do reggae is Sting and the Police. Uh, there we go. I think that's 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 a good one. Every, yeah. every Sting and the Police song is just reggae. He's like... <laughs> Every day I go to store, make everybody <laughs> get my door. I go down the park, I don't know you. Ding, 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 ding. It's like it's so reggae-ish. Hazel, I wish we could we could shadow ban you from ever even seeing Michael Bolton in your social feed anymore. You're cut off. No. <laughs> we'll be right back after this. It's 2009 now. Seagal just married Erdenatuya Elbatsuch, who was his personal assistant. I'm sure there was not a power dynamic issue there at all. And he's reviving his on-screen career with a little help from A and E. Hazel, hit it. I make a living in the movies. Uh-huh. For the past 20 years. 20 years. I've also been a cop. <laughs> and along with some of the finest deputies on the force, I serve the people of Jefferson Parish, Louisiana. My name is Steven Seagal. That's right. Steven Seagal, deputy sheriff. Now, by the way, the end of there is just the guy kicking a glass from the back seat out out of a cop car which is like why is that in the intro why is that is that the type of violence he's dealing with steven seagal i'm steven seagal and for the last 20 years i've also been a cop but i have not mentioned it ever (laughs) because i would never ever mention anything that bolstered my security credentials and it's not like hollywood would have wanted to make a movie of me being a cop or anything like that (laughs) yeah (laughs) and I, i talked about my experience in the cia but I thought talking about my 20 years of experience in Jefferson Parish, Louisiana, was a step too far. Yeah. Every chance he got, he told everyone that he was like a murderous assassin for the government, but never the 20 years of punching in, getting overtime at Jefferson Parish. I, I once snuck the Shah of Iran's son out, and I had to hit him over the head, but I did not want to tell anybody about the time 
someone was disturbing the peace at a Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> in the series, Steven Seagal, lawman, he's a deputy sheriff in Jefferson Parish, which is the area right outside of New Orleans. Apparently, he had been filming movies in the South when he was asked by the Jefferson Parish sheriff at the time, Harry Lee, to give defensive martial arts training to the police force. And he charmed him so much that he was named a deputy sheriff. Seagal is quoted as saying, I've decided to work with A&E on this series now because I believe it's important to show the nation all the positive work being done here in Louisiana. To see the passion and commitment that comes from the Jefferson Parish Sheriff's Office in this post-Katrina environment. Let's hear a bit more from that episode. It can be very dangerous out on these streets. But nothing's more important to me than protecting the people in this parish and honoring the name of uh, Harry Lee. And that's one of the many reasons why I'm willing to put myself in harm's way and be a good cop. Be careful out there. Come back into the shift. They'll be careful. All right, let's saddle up. Now, no. We travel in two SUVs, Johnny, Larry, and me in one, and Alex and Lawrence in the other. because I get car sick in the back. We go into the worst neighborhoods and try to make our presence felt and step on the crime as best we can. Yeah, this is all like the worst. This is all the culture of policing that every the all activists are trying to reverse now that got programmed into the public, right? The whole like warrior mentality stuff. You know what I mean? These are the jets, you know, these are the projects. The jets. Because Steven Skull's hip. These are the jacks, you know, these are the projects. When you're so poor, you can't even afford the pro. There's always a lot of uh, illegal activity along here, so we're just cruising to make sure everybody's all right. <laughs> As a lifelong practitioner of the martial arts, we're trained to remain calm in the face of adversity and danger. When the world is speeding by for others, I see things for what they are. A cock of the head foot planted forward or back, a flick of the wrist. Uh. They all tell me something. Whether somebody's going to fight, pull a gun, or run. <laughs> That's how innocent people get shot. Yeah. Like if when someone's reaching for their phone, that could be a gun. So I shoot first. Ask questions later. <laughs> so just for some context, this show came out after Cops. The TV show Cops yeah. had already been churning out episodes for two decades. Loved Cops, by the way. Watched that for so long. Then it became wildly problematic. Became? <laughs> it always was. The well, culture no, just I mean, for me personally, I think, honestly, when I, I read the new Jim Crow, yeah. and then I remember seeing it come on television, I was like, oh, wow, this, this show hits different now. This show. <laughs> no, it's dystopian. All this stuff, like, just oh, watching yeah. poor, poor people be gobbled up by the system like this is this is the running man this is the 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 movie the running man but just in real life but isn't there's there's something here that's interesting too that i as a kid growing up cops were entertaining and that's how i grew acceptance into the violence that cops were administering like we would laugh at cops the television show we thought it was funny when especially when they do the pittsburgh episode there'd be a bunch of yinzers getting fucked with and and they'd be like, hey, I ain't coming down off the roof here. 
And then, like, the cop's <laughs> like, you got to come on down right now, Tony. He's like, I ain't coming down. He would be laughing at that, right? But, like, <laughs> later you realize that that shit is still funny. But but later you realize, like, wow, this is, this is really just trying to kind of uh, brainwash us in a way or, or condition us to be okay with a certain amount of violence that cops can do. Yeah, yeah. There's only one cop's uh, clip I approve of, and it's the one where – there's a man with no shirt on and he's he's old and he's arguing with a woman. It's like domestic violence. And they're like, the cops are like, stop it, stop it. And then they uh and then they they uh they hit him with the taser and it just like doesn't do anything to him. And then he just looks at the woman and goes, I'll get you, bitch. And then they and then they wrestle him to the ground. Yeah, it's it's real bad, man. I don't know. It's the only thing that's if you watch that clip, you'll be not woke for a second. You'll you'll laugh. Did you watch Lawman in two thousand nine? Were you watching uh, that? I watched like the first three episodes, but it you know by the time you get to two thousand nine or whatever, it's it's I mean it's just dumb. It's it's just dumb. Like Seagal's not even moving around. Like if you're watching this show, if, if with even half a critical eye. At this point, you see it as like kind of like a parody of itself, right? I remember watching a couple episodes, and the cops were not happy with him. They were just like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa. take it easy, Steven. Take it." <laughs> there was a couple moments where they're trying to check him as well because they're like, "Jesus, this is not like." You almost feel bad for the cops that are working with him because they're just trying to do their job to a certain extent. And then they got this guy who's coming in saying that he's an expert in everything. Sure, he's a good shot. But hell, he's just an actor at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think a little bit of the resistance to that. Like, there's this one episode I remember where the cops are kind of ribbing him. They're like, hey, yeah, we were talking down at the station. We heard Jean-Claude Van Damme could kick your ass. <laughs> and it's totally getting under Seagal's uh, skin because that's like, he's hated Jean-Claude Van Damme for, like, at this point, 20 years. He's been threatening to hurt Jean-Claude Van Damme if he ever sees him. You know what, in that Lawman show, though, it's funny because he's constantly teaching everyone he did that on set that john leguizamo clip where he takes over the set and he's like everyone's gonna listen to me now i'm the boss you follow me that's like what he loves to do that's like he wants to be the center of attention and and it's funny we we actually have another clip from our interview with rob from mcdojo life that kind of speaks to uh, season one of lawman Oh, yeah, that's what totally what we're talking about. It's the extension of having a black belt in Aikido, right? And being someone who has that level of legitimacy. So the way Seagal extends it to, I taught everyone this technique. I am the most dangerous man on the planet. I worked for the CIA. I, you know, it, it's, like, you know it's like how he takes like that little platform of thinking. Oh, I'm the greatest police officer of all time. And I can direct a shot through a whole. Oh, I love that thinking. video. There's a video of him <laughs> teaching someone like it was back in Steven Seagal Lawman was on. And it's the funniest video ever. If you like really listen to what he's saying, it's nonsense. He's teaching a guy how to shoot on the gun range, right? And as he's teaching the guy how to shoot on the gun range, he's talking about it as if it was a bow and arrow. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, it's like a bow and arrow. What you're going to do is you're not going to pull the trigger. You're going to push the bullet forward into the target. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about, crazy man? Like, no, you're going to pull the trigger and the bullet's going to go forward. You're going to have to aim <laughs> like you're not going to push the bullet into the target. You're not going to will it 
to the center. You're going to have to actually use technique here, brother. You can make that stuff up. It sounds mystical. Maybe Wait. it makes you feel good. But I think we have this clip, right? Should we play this clip? Let's play this clip. This is this is great. I'm so happy you brought this up. Oh man, it's it's a piece of gold in my heart. Every time I hear about like Seagal, <laughs> I always think about you got to push the bullet to the target. <laughs> he wears shooting glasses everywhere he goes. It is dumbfounding to me. Or back then he did. I don't know if he still does the shooting glasses thing anymore. I know he does the uh, he does the sarong thing now or something mm. like that, like the the big neckerchief. Does he still do the big neckerchief? Yeah, I remember those. No <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, like you you really see that man. If that that show Law Man really did say a lot about Seagal because he would change his voice depending on who he would speak to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he would he would go from yeah. I'm Steven Seagal. I'm one of the baddest men on the planet. Hey, what's up, brother? How you doing, son? <laughs> you like, you understand you're on camera, right? Like, you're just going to go, okay, well, roll it. Keep rolling. Just let him do his thing, I guess. Get it out of system. <laughs> just like Zen Archery or something, it's a kind of a meditation for some people, being able to, you know, just really concentrate on being masterful with your discipline. When you want to really build confidence in yourself. You want to show yourself what you can do ultimately. And ultimately, I think I can shoot the tip off these. When you're really a good shot, once in a while you can light a match. Oh, you have it. Oh, this is great. Once a year, every officer has to qualify with firearms in order to use their oh my God. duty. And next week is Alex's test. See how it goes right where I want it? Yes, sir. Right there. I'd say it's sitting. <laughs> if I don't pass weapons qualification, I definitely don't want to be behind a desk. I heard Chief Seagal's a heck of a shot, and I'm going to ask him for pointers to help me knock off the rust. Chief Seagal. Oh, it's good I'm going to start out there. close, shoot a bullet hole. He's supposed to try to shoot it in the bullet hole. Put it in the same hole. Damn. I'm trying to pass down some of the secrets that have made me a master shooter. <laughs> I don't want to just look on his test, but I want him to be a better marksman what? for life. All right. Ready? <laughs> Both in the same hole, buddy. <laughs> oh, not bad. Don't fix it. Oh, Here's my shooting. God. So I don't know if you guys know a lot about shooting or not, but if you look at the position of their thumbs, it is absolutely horrific. So I yeah. have my friend, Mr. Glock here. <laughs> Uh, me and Mr. Glock are homies. We go oh, everywhere what? together. I'm in Florida, so don't worry. This is completely how it should be here. Uh, I also have an alligator in the basement. But if you look, I'm clear. There's nothing in there, okay? Copy that. So Thank good. you. Gun safety. All right, so when you're shooting, all right, how it was taught to me and something that helped me out. By the way, just in case you guys think I'm full of it, uh, Kill Cliff is one of my sponsors. And they're run by Navy SEALs. Um, they're a Navy SEAL-run company, and they donate a lot of their proceeds to the Navy SEAL Foundation. So there's my quick plug of the day. But – Whenever I get flown out and when I get the chance to shoot with these guys and stuff like that, it was put to me very simply. How would you be able to make a gun shoot the same hole twice? Like he's talking about, right? If you could make the bullet shoot the same hole twice, the only way to do that would be to take the gun, put it in a vice, and then pull the trigger and it would always shoot the same hole because there's no movement whatsoever. So when you're holding on to a firearm, your goal is to create a vice the best you can. When your thumbs are doing this, you are not creating a vice. What you have now done is you have loose thumbs that are just chilling, and then that slide will actually start messing up your thumb. It'll start cutting your finger. You don't want your thumbs up here by the slide. As you can clearly see in his particular video, his thumbs are hanging out by that slide. So when you pull that trigger, that slide's going to start slicing up your thumb. 
absolutely nonsensical. So what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to take your thumbs, you're going to want to press them. See his thumbs? So you're going to want to press them away from that slide on the lower half of the firearm and make sure that your thumbs are not getting sliced up by that. So you're going to pinch and press. You're not going to chill up here. You're going to pinch and press. So that way you don't get hit by the slide. But if not, his thumbs are just floating because I can only see from the side. If his thumbs are floating, that means the firearm is going to have a lot of wiggle room. So as you shoot, there'll be a lot of recoil and you won't have a lot of control of the weapon. So whatever he was teaching, that is bullshit. Just tossing it out there. But he's a master shooter, though. He's a master, I'm a master shooter. <laughs> master shooter. I've learned how to get my thumbs cut up by the slide for years. This is how we do it like a man. <laughs> he just can't handle this guy. This I bet you from here on out, you'll never be able Here's to unsee that shit. I want you to do this. Yeah. Blade. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, leave those thumbs up there oh, on that slide. I really didn't leave want this on. hole to get bigger than a silver dollar. I want you to take that front sight. I want you to put that right there. Squeeze. Same hole. Oh! Same hole. See how it jerked like that? Yes, double sir. for Don't that kind of action. Oh! Guess who's buying beer tonight, boy? Damn. Chiefs were all right there. I shot all of these. He knows what he's doing, and he knows how to put... Let he knows how to it. not teach me how to shoot, that's for sure. He didn't teach you how to do a damn push-up, I can tell you that shit right now. You're worried about that shooting course, you're going to have to do an obstacle course too, aren't you, homie? Okay, we're back. So, you know, it's, it's funny that Rob brought up how Seagal talked, because... Hazel actually reached out to some folks who worked on Lawman out of curiosity, and that sentiment was actually echoed. Hazel, why don't you jump on here? How, do you want to share what you learned in that uh, in that endeavor? Yeah, so I couldn't get into it too much with anyone just because of non-disclosure agreements for the show, but I did talk to a few people. One former crew member I talked to said it was actually a joke on set that his voice would change depending on who he would talk to, as in, like, if he was talking to a Hispanic man or a black man or a fellow cop, his voice would alter accordingly um, to whatever he thought was an appropriate way to speak to those people. Another crew member didn't work on set very long uh, and didn't notice that particular habit, but he did say that the first thing that Seagal said to him was, quote, hold the camera up higher or I'll shove it up your ass. Oh, interesting. Yeah, he said he said it was a few years ago, but it was something of that nature. And he was quite taken aback. Both the folks from the camera department that I talked to said that despite being quite tall, said that they routinely had to hold cameras so far up over Seagal's head that the frame of the shot basically included his head in the floor. Apparently this was to cater to Seagal's wish to hide his double chin. Yeah. Which is honestly the most like human thing about him so the you know instagram influencers out there that are listening will know this the higher you hold up the perspective changes and so if you've got a little bit more you know luggage on yourself that you want to kind of hide that it's a camera trick to kind of go a little bit higher from the perspective that's the trick there but you know that's like uh, they do the opposite thing for tom cruise they go a little lower they hire shorter actors as well. They go a little lower to make them look bigger. You go higher, kind of tend to look a little smaller. Yeah, other than that, I couldn't really get into the nitty-gritty of Lawman with the people I talked to because of the NDAs, but one person did point out 
how strange it was that he would present himself as God, which I don't think we've played a clip of. So here is Steven Seagal talking to a reporter about how he is a Buddhist God. I was born clairvoyant. Uh, I was born a healer and uh, I was born very different. You can say that again. Seagal is said to be a reincarnated Buddhist Lama. And to many, that makes him a god. <laughs> a god? I was born clairvoyant. Now he's Miss Cleo all of a sudden. It's great. Well, I mean, you know, uh, this I really shouldn't say on camera, but... Uh, but he does say it anyway. He claims he's God. We say sort of the same thing in Buddhism. We, we, we believe that all sentient beings have the Buddha nature within them, which means they are all, you know, sort of God. Okay, Sigal now he's God. sings, acts, and plays guitar. He tells me many of his fans are also his spiritual students, that he teaches them on and off screen just with his gaze and gestures. The ones who know, know. They can look into my eyes or just hear my voice and something clicks and they know. Now, now we have a narcissism. Now he's a cult leader. Seagal teaches others what he's learned himself from great teachers in India and elsewhere. He's out for justice. He's above the law. Now it's Steven Seagal, mind reader. If he's so clairvoyant, why didn't he see straight-to-DVD movies coming? <laughs> it's like career is in straight-to-DVD. Like, wouldn't you not do The Glimmer Man if you were clairvoyant? <laughs> <laughs> so the person who brought up how he presented himself as a god on set also just pointed out the dichotomy between that and how he ate meat and the vanity, which we talked about. And then what we know to be public, which is that season two stopped filming because of sex trafficking charges and... Season three stopped filming because he faced investigation. So, you know, take from that what you will. That's mostly what I had talked to folks about who had worked on Lawman and were kind enough to talk to me. Other than that, the only anecdote I can think of is that several people mentioned he wouldn't go out and shoot the show if it was raining or misting at all because he was afraid of what might happen to his hair. I wouldn't film if my hair washed away in the rain either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I wouldn't want that on film. Yeah. Not everybody wants a Rudy Giuliani moment. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. So as with everything Seagal's ever done, uh, some reporters actually called him out for cosplaying as a cop. This is from an investigative reporter for the LA Times who should really be sponsoring this series by now because uh, we've done a lot of quotes from them. Justin, would you mind reading this article written after season one of Lawman premiered? The show's conceit is that Seagal, the movie star, has also been Seagal, the cop, for the last two decades, working major cases in Jefferson Parish, Louisiana. This is no publicity stunt, promoters say. Seagal wore the badge with a quiet pride under most people's radar. As the actor speaks... A black and white photo of him raising his hand in what looks like a swearing-in ceremony appears on the screen, creating the impression that it was taken when he first joined the department. At closer inspection, however, it appears the photo was taken 20 years and at least 20 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's so mean. Everyone's so mean. It's just, they're so mean. They're just, just ethering him all jokes. over the place. At closer inspection, however, it appears the photo was taken 20 years and at least 20 pounds after the fact. Seagal says he attended a police academy in Los Angeles and has a certificate from Peace Officer Standards and Training, POST, an organization that accredits police officers. 
Post officials in California and Louisiana said they have no record of Seagal being certified. No. Attempts to reach Seagal were unsuccessful, and a spokesman for the show did not respond to queries about his qualifications. I mean, did they have a little uh, tag at the end of the show that was like, this is a, a satire? You know, the show's for entertainment purposes only. <laughs> Steven Seagal's not actually a police officer. <laughs> I, actually, no. This show had coverage of a regular news show. I think that's why they were allowed to film as much as they were, because a judge decided that they were technically news. <laughs> Sorry to jump in, but yeah, crazy. So, okay, here's what's next. How did the world react to Lawman? Well, they loved it. They fucking loved it. <laughs> yeah. They loved it. God damn it, they loved it. What is wrong? This is what happens in America. Someone so transparently fraudulent finds his way into the hearts and minds of millions of Americans. 3.4 million viewers. The most ever for a premiere episode of any series on A&E up until that point, obviously. Why? Why? I, I love it. That, that means people were literally turning off A&E biographies of, like, famous historical figures to watch, like, Lawman. Yeah. <sighs> Lawman spent two seasons on A&E and in Louisiana putting out episodes like The Way of the Gun, Medicine Man, Too Young to Die, Street Justice, and crack war. Okay. <laughs> These names are incredible. <laughs> These are all his film names. But listen, how does a show that's got a head of steam, that's got a lot of people watching it, good ratings, lots of money, supportive cast, how does a show like that stop filming, Justin? How do you think? Uh... I'm going to guess Steven Seagal uh, did some stuff that you could get away with before the internet was out. Ding, 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 ding. Filming abruptly stopped after Caden (laughs) Wen, a model who had been hired by Seagal's personal assistant on the show, filed a lawsuit against Seagal, charging Seagal with, you guessed it, sexual harassment, illegal trafficking of females for sex, sweet Jesus, failure to prevent sexual harassment, retaliation, wrongful termination, and false representation about employment. Oh, my God. AD got wind of this. Give them some credit, I guess. I mean, they brought this monster into the world, but they also took this monster off the air immediately when the lawsuit was filed. By the way, it takes a while to file a lawsuit, so they waited till it was officially filed. I mean, it's not like there had been at least half a dozen accusations against Seagal before Lawman's pre-production would have begun. And it's not like police reports, lawsuits, and a major reporting by outlets like Vanity Fair had detailed decades of Seagal's abuse before a and said, you know what, that, that guy, we'd love to do a show about him and a law enforcement. I think it'd be, uh, be a wonderful show. But Zen Archer, Shinto priest, and expert marksman Steven Seagal cannot be stopped. Lawman was resurrected on the cable network Reels, Reels with a Z, folks, a few years later with the help from, quote, the toughest sheriff in America, seen here promoting birtherism. Oh, God. Yep. Yep. Let's get it. Let's get it. Let's get it. Chief law enforcement officer elected by the people. I have a right to investigate and speak out. So I'm not talking about where he came from. I don't care where he came from. We're work, working on a fraudulent, forged government document. 
That's what we are doing. You're maintaining that the and birth certificate that the President of the United States revealed and released to the public, you're, you're maintaining that that is fraudulent. That's right. <laughs> That's not even the worst thing Sheriff Joe did. That's exactly right. Joe Arpaio, we all remember him, the Arizona sheriff that had an outdoor tent city prison. That is insane. His policies were so brutal that he was criticized by the DOJ, the U.S. District Courts, Amnesty International, the Anti-Defamation League, the ACLU, the Arizona Ecumenical Council, the American Jewish Committee, and the New York Editorial Board called him, quote, America's worst sheriff. Just a note to the Times, when you do things like that and you call him America's worst sheriff, you make him stronger, okay? He feeds off stuff like that. (laughs) According to Seagal, Arpaio actually invited Seagal to join his police force, and they did share a lot in common. It's awful. Seagal says working alongside Arpaio, let him see firsthand what it's like to deal with what he calls America's most pressing problem. I think our best, biggest problem is open borders. I think Reagan once said if you don't, you know, uh, have security on your borders, you don't have a country. Brace yourself, guys. But Can you pause not that, everything please? went as uh, just for the listeners to know, Ronald Reagan actually gave amnesty to millions of undocumented people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and his last speech as president was actually a tribute to immigrants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Ronald Reagan, <laughs> as bad Ronald as Reagan he was, would, he would be that considered was not the most the liberal pre- on immigration. He makes Obama look like Stalin. Yeah. <laughs> it was a different time. You can actually watch the 1980 uh, presidential debate between Ronald Reagan and George Bush, where they're arguing about who is nicer to Mexicans and, <laughs> and who should let more undocumented Mexicans stay in the country. Yeah. And George Bush is like, my brother's married to a Mexican. No, my, he's like, no, my, he's like my, my son. Yeah, yeah, Jeb. Right? But what's, what's also great about this, too, is that we've now finally found uh, an international culture that Steven Seagal doesn't want to appropriate. Oh, that's right. That's, <laughs> that's true. Not a fan of NAFTA. He's anti-NAFTA. We figured it out. Arpaio even encouraged Seagal to run for governor. Joe Arpaio and I were talking about me running for governor. I suppose I would remotely consider it, but probably I would have... Um, Too many sexual assaults. A lot more other responsibilities. A lot of other responsibilities there that may be more important to address. As for those who consider <laughs> More important than being governor of Arizona. Jobs. Oh Police God. officers, the real ones, are unique breed. The real ones would give their lives if they had to at the drop of a hat for people that they didn't even know, for a stranger. So they are my family. This is just uncomfortable. They are my family. How many families do you have, Stephen Seagal? Well, he couldn't, and he couldn't just give a tribute to cops without linking himself to them. That, that's what I also find like interesting. Justin, he's been a he he is a cop twenty years. <laughs> he cut his teeth as a cop <laughs> while he was becoming a, a keto master and a master chef as well. <laughs> in the Jacks, Louisiana. <sighs> the Jacks, deep in the Jacks. Production for the Lawman picked up and moved from the outskirts of New Orleans to the outskirts of Phoenix, where Seagal led more training that he was totally qualified to do like an active shooter police response training at a local school. 
Are it's so you, dangerous. <laughs> they hired an actor. Me? They hired an actor to train police officers in the most dangerous situation for children possible Ooh. in society. This is you need every, a good guy with everyone, a, what about a good guy with a gun? Good guy with a gun. Good actor with a gun, maybe? Good actor. <laughs> Everybody that authorized this should never work again. Like it's like a sh- like D-list actor with a gun. That's what you need. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is crazy. Like, imagine there's an active shooter drill, right? And the cops just do what, like, Stephen Skull told them to do. So they just put a cue ball inside a sock and start swinging it at the gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is what you need to do. America's war on gun crime oh, is my Lord. on fronts, from city streets to offices, even schools. Oh, but my God. now the God. world's most powerful country has a new weapon. Yes, all-action hero... Steven Seagal. Oh my God, this is so embarrassing. Time out from the bright lights of Hollywood to train posse volunteers in Arizona in how to protect students should a gunman break past school gates. This is how people around the world think about us. They think Steven Seagal runs everything. Doctors and lawyers, you're cops right now. And what is he wearing a kofiyah around his neck? What the fuck? If they don't do it, you gotta make them comply. Quick. For every second that goes by, you could be. Losing children, okay? Yes, sir. Segal Losing children. Volunteers through I can't various with this. aspects of shooting scene management, including room-to-room searches and apprehending gunmen. This country is doomed, man. The most what is precious th- asset we Oh have my God, guys! Everyone, he's in a playground doing this interview. Here to try to teach the posse uh, firearms and martial arts to try <laughs> to help them learn how to respond quicker and uh, help protect our children. But not everyone agrees. Posse members might be shooting at something who knows what and who gets caught in the middle, our little kids. It's the brainchild of controversial Arizona police chief Joe Arpaio, dubbed America's toughest sheriff. And he had some choice words for anyone who dared disagree with the exercise. I don't know what what these protesters are talking about. I'm going to say it again. For those protesters, we are here to protect the children. That's the main mission. They can oh say God. whatever they want, but just, I'm not going to stop. Wait, pause it. It's like force. I just never understood this this logic of to protect the children. We need to make the the ground that they walk on into a battlefield. That is how we protect them. That we need to make it a war. If we just make it a war zone, then we will win. If we just add. Like six more guys with guns, which, by the way, all of those people are usually late to the party after the shooting had happened. Look at fucking Parkland. The security guard who had a gun went the other way. I mean, this stuff doesn't work. No one wants to give the art teacher a gun. Yeah, it's pretty shocking. And it's just like... It's just like authoritarian messaging, right? It's people that need an enemy to be scared of and they need like this idea of security being provided for them. Because if you took him at his word, if you thought that Steven Seagal is the best person to protect your children, like like nobody believes that. Like like this is just like not there's so many levels of not critical thinking going on here. And the fact that the British aired this in the way that they did is totally making fun of us. They're so making fun of us. Yeah, yeah, it's like look at this failed civilization. Look at this. Like this might as well be a clip from like I mean, I'm telling you, this is bottom of the barrel stuff. And it it very much puts where we're at now into context, right? You there. could put that on a satirical comedy show and be like, hey, not a bad, not a bad sketch. Not a bad sketch. Yeah. 
No, it's like this is this is the this is just like the this is how an empire sort of ends, right? Yeah. Slowly crumbling. Steven Seagal in your schools. Well, after that disturbing clip, we gotta start wrapping this up because I'm I'm tired in on so many levels. Lawman finally ends before season three even finished filming with Seagal leaving the quote force to avoid facing investigation for a raid gone awry. <laughs> he shot somebody or broke someone's arm without reading them their rights, and they're like, can't do that. Not out for justice. <laughs> but he was speaking patois. That wasn't that wasn't the sign. That wasn't the sign to break his arm. Oh my god. While Seagal did hang up his cop uniform, he did not hang up his Capri Sun-colored oval sunglasses, which he would wear with those sweet silk jackets. And on special occasions, he'd even wear a nice little do-rag. Hmm, how nice. And by the way, he starts wearing this stuff, right? Because you have the war in Iraq and a war in Afghanistan, right? So you have people returning wearing desert tactical stuff. That's what all that tactical stuff in the... The Arab scarf, that's what all that is. It's it's like yeah. it's now finding another motif to plug yourself into. This is like he tracks whatever like the World Wrestling Federation was doing, whatever that was. Yeah, he has more gimmicks than a wrestler that just moves to a new territory. Yeah. Just repackage him. <sighs> all right. So we're going to take one more break before we end this series. And when we return, we'll touch on a few of Seagal's more recent ventures. And then, folks, we will be done. Before we go, we've got one more little, tiny, beautiful little morsel of fraud goodness. It's not so much race hustlery, but it is something we're used to. Seagal had to settle charges with the SEC for failing to disclose payments he received for promoting a... Give it to me. Give it to me. You got it, Sita. Come on. Everybody wants to know. What was it? A cryptocurrency. Everyone's happy. <laughs> if you threw your phone, go pick it up. Go pick it up right now. Okay? Don't at me, everyone. Okay? So there's an initial coin offering conducted by Bitcoin2Gen. Now, that's two I's on the coin and the number two, G-E-N, <laughs> which makes this look like, if you look at the way it's sold, B-I-T, you know, Bitcoin, two I's, two gen, looks like it's like a clickbait coin. Like they're just getting you to click on it. And you know how when you get like you know you get the one of those phishing emails with the scammer trying to get your password or something? And this 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 is what this feels like. He was promised two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in cash and seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of these worthless B2G coins in exchange for promoting the already illegal initial coin offering on his social media accounts. Hey, 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 <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Hey, 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 hey. hey. Be <laughs> I'm sure he has someone doing his social media posts for him, but the post encouraged people not to, quote, miss out on B2G's ICO and included even a press release titled, quote, Zen Master Steven Seagal has become <laughs> brand ambassador for Bitcoin 2 Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Zen oh my Master. God. Zen Master. Zen Master, who was just who had just who had to avoid charges of police brutality <laughs> like six <laughs> months ago. <laughs> You think oh of Sh- Sheriff Joe Arpaio, you think of Zinn, not boiling white hot racist white nationalist rage. So it looks like he got paid $157,000 in real dollars. So the SEC penalized him for that. And then they added another $157,000 penalty on top of that. He also was not allowed to promote another security, digital or otherwise, for three years. Wow. I couldn't believe it. I cannot believe it. But you know what? I can believe it. <laughs> if anyone was going to get in on the crypto game, it was race hustler extraordinaire Steven Seagal. One area, though, we didn't cover as much is Seagal's ties to Russia. He's apparently a friend of Putin, and he thinks he's a, a great man. After leaving Joe Arpaio's team in 2014, he joined Putin's. Why do you know? I don't know. Putin? Arpaio, who would you pick, Justin? If you had to like, if you if they were like, if you if it was a kickball team and the captains were Putin and Arpaio, whose team would you want to be? On? I would pick Vladimir Putin, like for sure. I would definitely pick Putin. Yeah, Arpaio's just like your run of the mill, you know, racist sheriff, dumb racist sheriff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Putin has like KGB. Like he at least he, he's like. A terrible, terrible person. Yeah. But there's like, he, ha- I would rather have stories with him. I just, I don't know if I like all that poison though. That's the thing. I, if I'd be on edge. I'd be like, is this poisoned? Yeah. It, I would just like, like a proper, I feel like Arpaio, if he wanted to give you feedback, he would give you like, he'd sit you down and you do like a feedback session. Yeah. And he may scream at you. But Putin may just like poison your coffee and you'd be dead. He'd be like, hey, why don't we just have a one on one, Putin? Yeah. You, we could have just talked this out. Mm. I'd rather be on a uh, you know a super yacht with Putin rather than some goofy ranch in Arizona. Fucking <laughs> <like> tent city. <laughs> yeah, bunch of like Slovenian models around us. Putin all the way. Um, so tell us the, the other news story about you recently is that you are considering running for governor yes, sir. of Siberia. I've noticed that. Yeah, that's for sure. You're considering running for governor of Siberia. Tell us about that. Why, if that's true, what you would do if elected? This is one of the uh, millions of fake news sort of stories. I was at a film festival in Vladivostok, which is where my father's family is from. And um, somebody in the audience said, hey, man, we don't have a governor here. You want to become the governor? I said, sure. And there it went. So, yeah. But at the same time, we said 30 times, uh, guys, we were joking, and, uh, you know, Vladivostok, uh, you know, ha- had uh, a friend of mine become governor there the next day. So it was just a joke that the press enjoyed uh, doing bad things to certain people with. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised by that at all. So you are a Russian citizen. You were awarded Russian citizenship. You're in Russia now. Give us your perspective on the debate over Russia taking place in the United States right now. Well, I mean, you know, I I said this before, Uh, I I believe this is a situation where there's a tremendous amount of propaganda uh, against Russia, and in my (laughs) opinion, most of the things that are being said is uh, fabricated and untrue, and I I think that this whole thing with Russian collusion and the President of the United States being involved in Russian collusion, all this, I think it's all a fantasy. And um, I think that this has more to do with the great divide between uh, Republicans and Democrats and the conservatives and the liberals and how 
at this point, you know, certain groups will do anything in the world. They don't care if it's legal, illegal, immoral. Oh. They don't care anything to win this battle where their agenda triumphs. And so, uh, I, you know, I really think, and I've said this before, we're at a tipping point in the United States of America where if people don't realize that Republicans and Democrats really at one point have to start to work together in a more oh, civil fashion and uh, agree to disagree oh, and man. understand that, you know, the truth and civility will really, really help the process uh, of uh, true oh, politics instead well, exactly of destroying our nation. Everyone just so you're in Russia while you talk to yeah. Russians. What do they make of this? Are they following? That's what. So that's what's so interesting about that. That's actually nothing is objectionable without about the last part of what he said. Uh, it's just like, of course, ironic because he's in a country that jails and poisons all of the opponents of the state, right? Yeah. But then the first part of his statement too. I mean, I, I made this may not have happened yet, but he's like, "There's no evidence of it." It's like Donald Trump got busted on that phone call trying to extort, <laughs> trying to extort the Ukraine. It's yeah. totally just like doing Russia's bidding. Yeah, I mean, I don't, or just, mm. yeah, it's just very funny. Yes. So now we've come full circle now, I guess, on Seagal. It's what he always wanted. It's it's totally, yeah, he found a regime that. Yeah, back to his birthplace-ish, back to his home country-ish, what? Forget about all the other, he's not Jamaican anymore, he's not Asian anymore, he's not black anymore, he is Russian. He's got the Russian citizenship. And this is where he's at. I guess he's fighting in this war against Ukraine now. What a monster. Yeah, he, he actually just celebrated his 70th birthday party with like a bunch of friends of the regime. And he was ta- and he's still saying about how the Russian government is great and all of these things, right? Jesus. And it's, it's also, you know, it's just ironic because he's on Fox News representing the Russian state, warning people about the dangers of propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> It's like we just we're so far we're so crazy like it's the just, irony is too thick to even see through at this point. Justin, this was supposed to be one episode and then now it's three because we found so much on Steven Seagal. But why did you want to do Steven Seagal? I was very interested in, you know, we had this idea of race hustling and Steven Seagal is like very unique in the fact that he's hustled a lot of different identities. Exactly. I mean, he, uh, you know, very much appropriates Japanese identity as a kickstart of his career uh, for, you know, the period on deadly grounds. He's very much directly appropriating sort of Native American tropes, right? You can say that uh, in Alfred Justice, he's appropriating like a version of like Brooklyn uh, Italian American identity, uh, a lot of stolen valor military stuff. He's a black blues man from the greatest streets of Detroit during certain periods, right? Uh, And, you know, finally, the the last identity that he's currently claiming is that he is a Russian of Mongolian ethnicity. He's now claiming that his relatives are Mongolians. And his his current wife is Mongolian. Oh, that's a deep, deep, that's like a B-side. That goes way back. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that, Justin. You know, I'm glad we did this. Uh, This needed to be done. Of course, again, the man never went to jail for fraud. And that's the problem with these race hustlers is that we just allow these things to happen. These cultural frauds end up having a bigger impact on our society than even some of the financial ones. So I will say this. Big ups to Hazel for putting these three episodes together. Well done. Uh, She was leading all the writing and a lot of the research on this. Emily Fusco, amazing job. 
just real bang up job from the team. I, I couldn't believe it. Just incredible amount of information that we generated from this one man. Hazel went, again, not knowing anything about Steven Seagal to now she has a PhD in Seagal studies. She actually listens to Lollipop uh, while working <laughs> out at the gym. Okay, you're joking, but Lollipop has been stuck in my head for the last three weeks. <laughs> Lollipop. We've all had dreams with Seagal in it now. I don't know. Hazel and I have. I don't know if Justin has yet, but... <laughs> I dreams he was my father. And next next week. Now here's the lesson, boys. A black child growing up <laughs> in America. Next week we're gonna continue our race hustler series with Sean King. Yeah, get ready, everybody. Frosters is a production of Zero Cool Media and the Last Podcast Network. Hazel Bryan produced this episode. Ian Brannon is our editor. Our associate producer is Anna Laradaga. Emily Fusco is our researcher. Our legal intern is Greg Fingerhut. Our theme music is by Simon Tafik. And some music in this episode was composed by Chris Olson. Thanks to Rob from McDojo Life and to the folks who really talked to us, who had worked on Lawman. We really appreciate everyone's time. See you next week.